my god, no! This is public! Spooky season's greetings and salutations and welcome to Hacker Slash. If you're joining us again, welcome back. Be afraid. Be very afraid. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the party. We are a horror movie review podcast dedicated to telling you whether a movie is a hack. A total joke. A waste of time. Or a slash. Totally killer. Pun intended. We believe horror is for everyone, and as such, we're rating these movies with the perspective we've gained from our varying walks of life and the flavors of fear we fancy most. My name is Chris. I'm your friendly neighborhood slasher enthusiast. This week, I'm joined by the super fly space guy, Mac. Don't you think that's worth a Nobel Prize or two? And the paranormal paramour, Binks. You're disgusting, as always. This week, we're breaking down an 80s remake of a science fiction horror film from 1958, which itself was based on a short story. Set in the heart of the 80s, one maverick scientist over ambition leads him down a path of life-altering proportions, and the maestro of his story is none other than David Cronenberg, a luminary in the realm of body horror. This film follows the journey of a man whose brilliance is matched only by his eccentricity. His life's work? A groundbreaking experiment that could change the transportation world as we know it. But, as we all know, the path to innovation is fraught with risks, and even the best laid plans can go awry. Dipping his toes in the waters of the mad scientist trope, Cronenberg crafted a narrative that is as much about the fallibility of human nature as it is about the perils of unchecked scientific curiosity. Armed with a $15 million budget to execute his vision, Cronenberg's film won an Academy Award for Chris Wallace's grotesque effects work and Saturn Awards for both its genre and actors. Its success cemented itself as a worthy successor to its 1958 counterpart, and to many, it's considered an upgrade. This week, we're talking about The Fly. Who's seen this one before? 100% me. This is, I think, pretty obviously sci-fi horror in my book. This is right up my alley. This is something I've seen several times before. Yeah, I also have seen this movie before, definitely when I was younger. But actually, more recently, I've mentioned in the past couple episodes, I'm working on this like top 100 horror movie scratch-off poster. And so, of course, this was on there. And so I think I watched this, I think it was like in February or something like that. So back at it again with a fly. Yeah, I've never seen this movie or its predecessor before. And so I decided actually this time around I would watch them both back to back. Normally I'd watch them in chronological order. That's just my preference. But I opted to watch this one first to get the cleanest slate possible for it for this episode. And I've only seen images of the poster, a couple shots of Jeff Goldblum, and several images that led me to believe it'd be super gross. And that's the biggest expectation that I had, right? So I expected things to escalate quickly. And I thought they would be absolutely disgusting. I also realized, brace for shock, I've never seen a Cronenberg film. The closest I've ever gotten to one is seeing him play a role in Jason X. I cannot believe you just said that on yep. our podcast. Well, here we are. Jason in even... Space. Famed Cronenberg film. Famed Cronenberg film. Uber Jason. My God. My God. I don't even have words. I really don't. I'm kind of speechless. Look, I Okay, obviously I am a big Cronenberg fan, and hence why I'm speechless. I can't even believe that we have not reviewed a Cronenberg film until now. So that's that's to me. We're waiting for you this whole time. Maybe that's what it was. I don't really know. I hope I, I don't even know if I can give such incredible insight. Regardless, I just really like his movies, and really the reason is 
and I've shared this in our past episodes, like I grew up watching Tim Burton films, but one film in particular outside of him was Cronenberg's Existence. It's one of my favorite movies. I've rewatched it so many times, so many times. And I think that because I grew up watching Existence, a couple other Cronenberg films, but like mostly remember Existence, I'm convinced that I've just been able to take Cronenberg's version of body horror, never really any other horror movies up until like Terrifier, probably that like just changed the game for me to like, just like gore again. But just his movies in particular, you just know you're watching a Cronenberg film and I can like withstand his type of body horror. So even now when I rewatched The Fly earlier this year and again to do this episode, like I was expecting what I was ex- going to expect every single time I see Cronenberg, something that will be gross. That's for sure. It's interesting. I didn't really go into this with the whole like gross expectation. I've seen it. I know what to expect and all that kind of stuff. But this viewing, that's not even what I was concerned with. I was mostly thinking about a young Goldblum and a young Davis. That's what I'm, that's what I'm expecting to see. I don't think they really peaked until much later. I don't know if they actually have peaked. I think Goldblum is probably at his peak now. So it's interesting that like I'm excited about seeing them in their youth and seeing them before they, they've become such like well-known I don't know, like just staples of film. This is when they were still fresh. Yeah. And so that was what I was looking forward to was seeing them fresh, not so experienced. Seeing the two of them together, I was just absolutely floored by how captivating they both were. I think this might be my favorite performance of his in anything that I've seen him in. And I think it's also because this movie made me feel so many things. And I can think of like really five words in particular in this order. Captivated disgusted, shocked, appalled, intrigued. First of all, how dare you steal my word? Because literally I wrote one word for this, which was captivating. Yeah. You know, this film is absolutely going to like just grab your attention and keep you going as the story goes. It's not because the story is so like intricate and amazing or whatever. It's just the performances keep you just wrapped up in everything, right? And the story is interesting enough. It's a sci-fi story. It's a good one. It's been used in other kind of circumstances. There is an episode of Star Trek, which is not one of my favorite episodes, but it's a good episode. It's from Star Trek Voyager season two, episode 24. It's called Tuvix. And it's a very similar kind of setup where, you know, they use transporters in Star Trek, right? And so they transport two people and they combine them into one person. And then they got to figure out if they can split them up. And is that moral to do so? Ooh. Yeah, the story's good. It's obviously older than the movie, but I think the characters are what keep you just drawn in and the visuals. The special effects in this movie are like just stupid good, especially for 1986. Even if they're not that great, they're just really good good captivating that's what this movie is so thank you for throwing it out there first because i could i would have said it 12 times and me with the 13th time because it is captivating 100 percent. you know what it is in particular though for me i know that this movie is revered as a fan favorite i mean it's on my poster for a reason a lot of my friends like love this movie some even consider this their comfort movie which i think is hilarious because i can't imagine seeing some things in this movie as like comforting, but whatever. For me, it's that like Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis, you guys brought it up earlier, like they are just incredible in this movie. And me in particular, of course, I'm going to be all about seeing a fine as hell Jeff Goldblum. All right. It just hits different when it has to do with him and a fly, but like, I'll forgive it. And as the youth say, they like to say this word riz, which is like, basically he has charisma. That's Jeff Goldblum as a person and his character is basically him. 
Like, it's nuts. He is one in the same with this main character, and it's just so good. That's what makes it so captivating to me. And then on top of that, taking it a step further, bringing in Gina Davis. At this point, a little bit of pop culture here, but at this point, both of them were actually dating. Or I think they had just gotten married or something like that. So like, that's also what has to do with like the tension and the chemistry between the two of them because they're actually married or like together. Granted, they definitely got divorced later on, but whatever, we forgot that part. Remove that part. Oh boy. It, it was actually a problem though. So they had to kind of separate them while filming because they were so close, like their vocal patterns started to be too similar. So they had to like break them apart to stop that. God, the sexual tension. It's crazy. I think it's called chemistry. Chemistry, tension, everything, all of it, everything. Captivating. Great that you bring that up because to me, and this is probably kind of a joke a little bit, nothing really surprises or disappoints me about this movie. If there is one thing to surprise me, I hope that this isn't too much of a spoilery connotation, friends, but I just got to say it. I'm just surprised by how horny flies are. Is it just me? Is it the fly or is it the man? That's the real question. It's. I think it's the man for sure. You think it's the man? Mm-hmm. I don't know. In the countless times that I've seen this movie growing up a little bit, like more in my teenage years. I saw it like once or twice in college, but even this year alone, I think rewatching it now, I was like, damn, Bianca, there's a lot of there's a lot of sexual heat going on in this movie here. <laughs> how have you never noticed this? I'll see your horniness being a surprise and I'll raise you. I am absolutely shocked how long we linger in things. Shit doesn't just immediately hit the fan in this movie, and that's fucking wild to me. It's like you're watching the shit hit the fan, but in slow motion. You're left to suffer through the shit's journey to the fan, like piece by piece, particle by particle. And the deterioration in this movie is insane to me. Particle by particle. That was a visual moment for me. Listen, this whole fucking movie is a visual moment. Yeah. And I'm also surprised how intense this story feels the longer it goes on. Because it's a sensation of just, when you think things couldn't possibly get worse, there they go, getting worse. Yeah, I think it's, is it Reservoir Dogs, where they spend a good amount of time talking about storytelling, especially when you're telling a lie? Is that what I'm thinking? Yeah. And it's just, it's like a really good long joke, where you have to add lots of details to make it seem really vivid. That's what they did here, right? Cronenberg was like, okay, we know what's going to happen. We saw the 1958 movie, but we have like two hours to do it. So let's just take our time showing you everything. Literally everything. Surprisingly, like they probably could have shown him going to the bathroom more. That We saw enough of it, not using the bathroom, but going into the bathroom. And I believe he could have found a way to, to have him going into the bathroom even more. I don't know. That was nuts. Yeah. I was surprised. I mean, I knew kind of what to expect, of course, in terms of the film, but I forgot because it's been so long how hard in the paint this movie went with its special effects. Like all along, all the shit hitting the fan that you mentioned, Chris, every small detail, all the changes all along the way. I forgot just how crazily, how crazy they went. And there's a scene in the film that I can't tell you about because it's a spoiler right now, but there's a medical procedure referenced and it is so disturbing of a scene, right? And I remember that there was like something referenced, but this, I forgot just like how vividly they showed this very disturbing scene and they show you the prop and the special effects are too good and too gross and grotesque really. And that just like completely escaped my memory. I was really just focused on the fly and not everything else going on. Oh gosh. Yeah. See, that's 
where I really struggle with this movie. And not like struggle in a bad way, but I mean, I feel like I had to survive this movie in some ways. Not the way that I had to survive Neon Demon or The Devil's Rejects, nothing like that. But while nothing in this movie terrified me, I was genuinely disgusted. And I actually thought I was going to throw up a couple times. In fact, I think about a scene that we're going to unpack later in the spoiler zone, and I almost throw up just thinking about it. And of course, Binks had to pull that gif as our Notion card page. And it's just like, um, oh my God, it's just, mm, got the heebie-jeebies. But that's really what does it for me here. And I think aside from that grotesqueness, I think the kind of fear that this might induce is more of an existential fear. We'll unpack that more in the spoiler zone, but I think that's what this is for me. Like, it's not a scary movie in the way that you might expect a horror movie to be, but it's a scary movie in the way it makes you think and the amount that it's going to gross you out. Yeah, this is definitely one of those like ship of Theseus kind of moments here. When am I no longer me? Is definitely a, like a great existential question. Also, you need to watch Existence like yeah. a thousand percent. I don't think you're going to have the same. Well, you might have the same reaction, but you still need to watch it. I don't know, man. Um, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of one scene in particular. So you don't have one hell of a reaction. <laughs> yeah, I don't think this movie's scary though. I'm with you there. I don't think it's frightening to me, but I do think it is very grotesque and. I look at it and I see more of the sci-fi of things than I do the horror of things. Like I never even thought about this because I always lumped it in with other sci-fi movies. I never even thought about the horror of it all. It's obviously a horror movie, but in my mind, it never came across that way. And I'm not scared by it because that's who I am. But like there's images on screen that some people probably don't want to handle. Well, and I'm definitely one of them. The thing is that I am afraid of flies, flying insects, insects in general, just things that I don't enjoy. Like if a fly is like zooming around, I'm like hypervigilant. So truthfully, the idea that there would be someone as hot as Jeff Goldblum's morphing into a fly is just not fun. And I think in general, the movie obviously is nasty. So it's not scary in the traditional sense. It's not like it's a jump scare type of situation. And like, I didn't even think of it as an existential type of thing either, actually. So that's interesting. But I can see it. To me, it's just like, Bianca, imagine if like, your partner just became a fly. That's (laughs) fucking nuts. (laughs) That's terrifying. So no, (laughs) just no, that's just one big no. Hey, that's like those Instagram challenges. Would you still love me if I were a fly? That's what I think about, Mac. That's what I think about. That's what I think about. Would you still love me if I'm a fly? We're going to pack this in the spoiler zone. (laughs) I have a whole thing about it because I can't even comprehend the slow particle (laughs) shit hitting the fan moments such as this is terrifying in and of itself. Okay. So you bring up this whole like, would you still love me? If I was a fly. And I think that is such an interesting difference between this and the original movie. Have either of you seen the original movie? I haven't, actually. No. I haven't. So sorry, Sean. I'm sorry. And, you know, he's going to forgive me later. Maybe it's a good thing that Sean isn't on this episode. I think maybe if he was, it would have really needed to be an old versus new. Yeah. But man, okay. So from one angle, let's just break this down in terms of how this movie differentiates itself. From one angle, it's a mad scientist movie. It's not like you haven't seen something where someone borders on playing God and something goes awry. Things always go wrong when you fuck around and you do find out. But this is such a different take from both the original short story and the 1958 film because 
those stories were woven with science fiction and murder mystery. And I think about the amount of love story in that. And this one focuses way more on body horror, like an allegory for terminal illness. And the love story feels more like complete tragedy. And that is such a different feeling to walk away from. Mm, I see. So to my point then, it seems like the original would hit harder in terms of would you still love me versus this one is just, well, not necessarily. It's illness. It's wild because I think they both require the same things of the people involved in the love story. This one I think does go into the would you still love me a little bit more because I think of the feeling uh, that I felt watching this and some of the reactions that we get between our two main characters. But then in the original It's just such a different story that it feels even more like partnership. It's just wild. I can't wait to get into it in the spoiler zone, but I'm going to have, we're going to have a blast breaking it down. I was going to say, yeah, I haven't seen the original and I had every intensive purposes of doing kind of like what you did, which was just watching the original after seeing this one. But then I thought to myself, Bianca, you can't fuck with flies. You know what I mean? Like you can't even, this is a lot. There's a lot of fly action twice this year already let's just wait a little bit so it'll have its time that being said though would love if maybe we review it later on in the future or something like that because i was curious to see what the differences were because although this is obviously based on a short story and then it's a remake right like there's that originality debate that we love to have but it seems like this movie is revered because it is so great at veering away from the original content, actually, and dabbling with leaning into the gore, dabbling with the humor. Because this movie's funny, man. I laugh a lot. And it really does have to do with Jeff Goldblum. I think he's just like, again, that's his personality, his delivery, his comedic timing. That It leans into that. That makes the difference. But... I guess it, hearing your perspective on having seen the original, I was always curious as to like, okay, why? Usually the remakes are never so much better than the originals. And this is a perfect example of that. It's just so powerful because I love, after watching both, I really love how the original approached things. And I think it's a lot of intrigue. And I think as someone who does tend to like older films, I appreciate it. But this movie did not do what so many other remakes do. Rob Zombie's Halloween takes a classic and then just like adds a lot of gore, adds a lot of backstory, and it does something else, right? This one takes the original story, builds upon it, and makes it more intense while also respecting the whole point of it. And that is what I think this really nails. I think you could say that it's technically not original, right? Technically, but like practically. Practically it is. Practically it is completely original. The depth, like you said, the depth is what's is what they're using to make it its own thing that you cannot say is another thing. I mean, it. I think it goes all the way to the very end. This ending here is as memorable to me as like the thing, mm. which was only a couple years earlier. I have to agree with you in terms of the ending. It is like the height of nastiness is occurring here at this end. If you are easily squeamish, aka Chris, maybe kind of, sort of, not really. I'm not. You're not easily squeamish. Something's just like just do it. So I was going to ask you at some point tonight, I was going to ask you if you like did feel like you were going to vomit because this movie will do it. So I'm glad that you didn't, but you were almost there. Almost. Almost. I watched a shit around eating the time of eating breakfast and I never eat breakfast. And I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Bold. Very bold. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, this is peak stuff right here. I also think it's like, it's sad. It's gross as hell. I also think it's abrupt too, kind of like towards the end, but you don't need more. It's to the point and I appreciate it for that. And it's giving women get shit done. Mm, yeah. It gives women get shit done. Oh, that's such a good way to put it. I personally love the ending and I feel like it's been a little while since I've said that I've loved the ending of something completely, but I think I'm blown away by how much the results are absolutely perfect on paper. However, comma, I do take umbrage at the subtext and some of the implications for characters and relationships towards the end. And it's not something that's like for real, for real, like there. I think you could walk away from this movie not taking any of that, but it was there for me. It was present for me. And ooh, I can't wait to unpack it further because I got thoughts. But I think we got to start making our way towards our ratings so we can actually get into the spoiler zone and break all this shit down. But before we reveal our scores, Mac, how would you rate the gore score? Yeah, we've mentioned that this movie gets really gross and grotesque. It's probably a different type of gore than most people are expecting from horror movies, but it is very high. And what about the animal report? If you think that this animal report would be safe considering the subject matter, you're insanely mistaken. Things get nasty, my friends, and PETA is not a fan of certain things exploding. Well, let's go ahead and get into our ratings and The Fly from 1986. Was it a hacker or a slash? Just amazing things came out in 1986, you know? Labyrinth. You. Which is a classic. Me. Yeah. This movie also came out in 1986. Just really good stuff. And it's a classic. I'm going to be straight up. This movie is a classic. I'm sure that the 1958 is technically a classic, but just like me, this movie is absolutely a classic. It is so good. The acting is phenomenal. For 1986, the special effects, again, are they're just stupid good. They're gross. They're effective. They're not overused, though. They're just incredibly bombastic, I think. But I think like like you mentioned earlier, though, Chris, the power of the allegory in this film is is so strong. It's a little bit on the nose once you realize it. Like once you put two and two together, you're like, oh, wow, I could literally just read this completely differently now. But I think it's good. I think it's effective. I think if you can stomach this film, you're going to have a great time. And if you can't, you're missing out a little bit. But overall, it is an absolute slash. Yeah, look, I'm going to follow up with similar vibes. Not going to lie. I mean, I've already said I haven't seen the original. But my gut continues to tell me, and even after getting into it with you, Chris, it continues to tell me that this is a stellar adaptation. It's got a mix of everything that I can appreciate. It's the sci-fi horror that I've been kind of missing in my life most recently. I've, I really want more sci-fi horror in theaters, and it's just Cronenberg, and I've always loved Cronenberg. So, you know, Jeff Goldblum, Gina Davis, they're rock stars, and like, even the pacing of the story is so great. Everything is solid, solid, solid. I mean, yes, you're in for a very disgusting ride, but it's a treat as well. It's a good horror movie. And some of Cronenberg's simplest work, because if you know Cronenberg and his filmography and his stories, it gets wild. So there's just a lot to enjoy here. I've already seen this movie twice this year. And with my heavy disdain for flies, that should tell you plenty. So it is 100% a slash for me. You know, earlier I mentioned I was blown away by elements of the ending and how well it comes together. And I think I'm also just blown away by how much I love this movie in spite of how disgusting it is. This is an instance where the gore in a film supports the narrative versus exploiting gore and sensationalized violence for pure shock and all value. I watched this movie and I immediately was struck 
by needing to process it, needing to do look up anything I could about it, and then looking at okay, what happens in the sequel, although the service formerly known as HBO Max immediately queued up the sequel and ruined the question that I had about the ending right there in the description of the movie. But this movie has been on my mind nonstop since I watched it, which ensures that it has all the hallmarks of a slash. And with that, The Fly from 1986 has earned itself a universal slash. Now, you can find this movie available online. You can check the link in our show notes to find where you can check it out right now. But once you do, join us in the second half so we can unpack it together in the spoiler zone. We'll see you in a bit. Are you tired of endlessly chasing screaming teenagers through the woods or across the campsite? It's 2023, folks. Shouldn't there be an easier way? Well, my gory friends, there is. And it comes in the shape of today's sponsor, Brundle Pods. Directly from the mind of Seth Brundle, Brundle Pods is here to revolutionize the chasing game. With one step, you can instantly teleport from your gloomy hideout to that isolated cabin in the woods. Just imagine, no more tedious late-night treks. No more tripping over random branches. No more hitching rides with clueless teens. And the best part? You can maintain that oh-so-iconic slow walk and still catch your victim in no time. Brundle Pods. It's like Uber, but for the psychopath on the go. Use the code HackerSlash to get a free teleportation test drive today. Terms and conditions apply. Warning. Occasional fly transportation may occur. Brundle Pods is not responsible for any potential DNA mixing, monstrous transformation, or existential crisis. Don't let those pesky, spry teens outspace you again. With Brundle Pods, they can run, but they sure as hell can't hide. Brundle Pods. Because horror waits for no one. And now, neither do you. Welcome back, folks. You're now entering the spoiler zone for The Fly, which has earned a universal slash. And we have a lot to unpack here, but before we get into the specifics of how disgusting this movie is, let's start with the kill. There was one. Just one. <laughs> the kill. That one, you know, you know the one. You understand. Yes, there was one kill. We can say that much for humans, but there's more than humans. Oh, that poor sweet baboon. It's fucked. And yeah. you know what? I was confident it was fucked without even seeing what was in the other pod because we knew it wouldn't end well. And then we got the bloody paw print. Ugh. An absolutely disgusting fucking mess that reminded me of the thing. Yes, that is so true. It was just a blob. They didn't have to say it out loud, but basically the thing got turned inside out. Yeah. I really feel, Seth, that we could have done something that was maybe one step between article of clothing and fucking live baboon. Yeah, it's interesting that they didn't go with a rat. And that's like, I feel like the standard unit for testing animals, right? Or Isn't it? an insect. Literally yeah. anything. If you're going to like start venturing into that shit, you could have just tried something else before something quite that big and expensive. Right. Not that the expensive price is the most important part of this. Well, I guess you said insects, and I mean, technically that did inadvertently happen. <laughs> inadvertently. Yeah. They also could have gone, I mean, if you're testing organic material, you could have gone for something that was already dead and seen how that translated. And then, I don't know. But yeah, there's a lot going on in here. And when we try to go into the kill, the kill in this film is in reality almost two hours long. Yeah. Right. Because it's not something that necessarily, obviously it happens at the end and we can talk about that, but it is a whole transformation that leads us there. 
Are there any of those gross moments along the way that were your favorites, if you will, or maybe standouts? You know what? It was all fucking disgusting. So let me just say that my favorite moment was the exclamation point to all of it, which was the shotgun blast to the insect head. Because fuck that. Yeah. And it, it wasn't even just an insect head. It was the fly that had been merged with machinery at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Even more mangled. Telefly. God, just so nasty. But you know what I pictured? Like, that's what I look like when I'm trying to take down a roach that's flying around the kitchen. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Could you imagine this movie, except it's a cockroach? Oh, I would never, ever watch it. I would never watch it. That is cursed. We didn't deserve that. <laughs> that's fucked. You ruined this for everyone. Yeah. You took it too far. No, no, no. That's fucked. Look, my favorite nasty part, if we really want to think of it that way, I guess, the ear falling off (gasps) was just, that was the moment. That was it. And what was worse is that after that happened, she hugged him. And I was like, Jesus Christ, Veronica, was the sex that good? It had to have been. And that was love. That was, I don't know, man. I don't know, man. It had to have been because there was no way on this planet No way on this planet. First of all, way before he looked the way that he did in that moment. There's, I'm so sorry. I'm maybe I am vain. Call it my Virgo-ness. I don't know what it is, but like, there is no way that I would have hugged or gotten (laughs) close to that pus. But this Mm -hmm. man's ear fell off. And then, you know what the worst part of it all is? Is that she went in for the hug on the side where the ear was missing. Yeah. Her face was next to the part where the ear hole is. Yeah. See, if Rob Zombie made this film, that would have happened, except we would have seen it stick to her. Oh. oh. God damn it, Mac. What are you doing tonight? You're welcome. Mac, you're really going in. Rob Zombie's the fly. Yeah, we would have learned, though, that the fly had a troubled upbringing. Oh. <laughs> I think there was a lot of gruesome moments, especially as things get much, much worse towards the end. But the part that's like absolutely terrifying to me is the fingernail thing. It's gross, but we've seen it. We've been there. No big deal or whatever. But having had so many dental issues in my life, the teeth, the teeth falling out or being pulled out, that for me really sealed the deal. That was like extra disgusting, but also incredibly effective because yeah, you don't need teeth. Yeah. If you're a fly. Man, let me tell you how sad this moment was. And again, I told you earlier that I couldn't stop thinking about this movie. A few days after watching this, when I was at work, I had someone telling me a story of like, I guess it's their spouse's grandmother. So their grandmother-in-law. And she called them because she'd been freaking out because she was brushing her teeth and a tooth just fell out. And I was like, man, that's so sad. Like you're aging. You're getting to this age where you're falling apart. And how terrifying must that be to be at this point in your life when you're looking at this little tooth and you're like, fuck, it's all downhill from here. Oh, well, I can tell you that from personal experience. So <laughs> I've had so many, so many dental issues over the years, all stemming from a really bad dentist when I was young. And yeah, I've literally had a, a tooth just break while eating popcorn. Maybe you should you know? consider a lawsuit. It's definitely past that point. I think now it's been 20 years. But if anybody knows anybody or if anybody's a dentist and wants to give me a free mouth, hook me up. Yeah, it's just that's that kind of horror to me is so effective because I've lived it. And before I went through it, I used to have nightmares about it. I think like dental issues are actually a pretty common nightmare or like fear or something like that, right? It's like really gross. And so I used to be freaked out by that idea. And then it happened to me where, yeah, like a tooth just 
cracks in half and comes apart. Yikes. And so I can like, I feel it when it happens on screen. Like I'm like, yep, been there. That sucks. Doesn't feel good whatsoever. I've also had acid reflux most of my adult life. And so when he starts transforming into the fly and spits out the fly goop, one, it's disgusting, but it just it's the wrong color or the wrong viscosity or something. I don't like it whatsoever. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, it just, I guess it all makes sense. If you had this massive acidic spit, your teeth would be unnecessary. The milky acid vomit, and especially when it's going over the fucking donut in his hand. That fucking, oh my God. Yeah, that was nasty as all hell. That was nasty as all hell. Okay, I mentioned this in the first half of the episode, but the part that was really grotesque to me was Gina Davis in the stirrups having her nightmare. Then we see what could be described as, I guess, we will call it her child from her and the fly, but in reality, it's just like a giant grub. Yeah, the larva. The larva, baby. The larva fetus. It was giving a racer head. You know what? I actually saw this movie and then I watched Prometheus afterwards. Nice. And it also, I don't, Chris, you've seen Prometheus? No. Okay. Well, it's fun. Maybe it reminds you of the Deacon. Yes. Yeah. It very similar. I was like, man, back to back scenarios here. This is creepy and disgusting. Yeah. They're pretty similar ideas. Yeah. I see Prometheus. I see this. And then I'm like that those kinds of scenes are nasty and I would be having nightmares too. Hello. It's true. That's true. The saddest part is like, in reality, what if their child were completely normal? Is it a disease that's passed on because genetics and all that? Yeah. I mean, this does hit differently with the changes or the challenges to women's reproductive rights that we've had as of late. So watching this for the first time ever and having this narrative in the landscape of how and where and when we're living, it hits It's kind of crazy because I feel like when we got to that part, I think I also had like that same effect on me, right? Where I'm watching that and I was like, man, this is, it's a very different landscape now. Very different landscape. Listen, and I know that we're going to talk and get into some scenes in a minute, but I have to just say that was my favorite scene in the movie because of the evolution of the feelings I felt from a few seconds before to a few seconds after. There's a moment where Stathis is challenging her, saying that you can't go. What if he's contagious? And she's saying she has to go. And in my mind, I was like, listen, babe, he already ejaculated. And if it's contagious, you already have it. And I was thinking purely in the body fluid perspective, right? Just like how illnesses can transmit from one human to another. And then she says she's pregnant, and I was like, she's fucking pregnant, bro? What? It's like my mind couldn't even go there. It's like within the realm of the horror that is this movie, I could not even fathom her having his offspring. So then it cuts to this nightmare, and she's having to push out this creature, and it's a fucking larva. You think, oh, man, whew, it's just a nightmare. And I got really relieved. I was like, oh, clearly this whole fucking thing was a nightmare. And then I realized, shit, wait, she was just actually pregnant and that takes you into the moment where she's like going to confront him and she's going to tell him but then she can't and man the emotional impact of this entire revelation set the tone for the rest of the movie and i was like man it really do be getting worse yeah that they took the break off and they're just rolling straight downhill at this point this shit went zero to a hundred but still somehow went a cool 40 miles an hour okay so one Yes, that's a great scene. It's a lot of disturbing, of course, absolutely, very much so. But I have to admit, I enjoyed some very early scenes that were very, I don't know, they're kind of silly. But when they're just like going out to eat 
and chatting. It's got to be the chemistry, I think, but I really enjoyed their time just like hanging out as they're learning. And especially as he's like early on in the transformation before he becomes like, I don't know, Spider-Man 3 where he's got the strut. Yeah. Before he hits that level when he's just like feeling good. It's really, I think it's interesting to see that dynamic change because it's pretty evident. Like they're still cool. They still have good chemistry, but he is becoming a different person slowly. And the speed at which he is speaking, he is literally buzzing like a fly would buzz around. Ew, I don't like it. But I do like that. The What you're mentioning, Mac, about like the earlier moments. Some of those moments, there's like a visual thing that I like about Cronenberg that he did, which was he kind of made it seem like it was found footage perspective, but not fully because he was using like the camera that she was using to record the documentary or whatever, right? So I thought that was kind of nice. And it also kind of just made it a little bit more like, I don't know, like you really could read the chemistry and then working together through those perspectives. So I love that. And to be honest, my favorite scene is Seth being basically an Olympic gold gymnast and doing full on Spider-Man 3 and just flip-flopping all everywhere, Veronica in the background. I mean, hell, that, that was me. That I'm out here like scoping like, damn, all right, gymnast. Okay. I see you. You know, there's the horny binks. Look, you're going to tell me that Jeff Goldblum flip-flopping around doing all those kind of crazy things with crazy forearm strength isn't going to make you feel some type of way? I mean, he's a good-looking guy. It's impressive. Say maybe not Chris, though. Maybe not. Okay, obviously. Or or me. Listeners, right? Come on, somebody. tell. I can't be the only one. It's impossible for me to be the only one. Quite literally, I know that I can't be the only one because Gina Davis married him. So, hello. It worked. Now... The caveat here is that, of course, at this point, he is starting to become a fly. And that, that hits different. That does hit different. It is funny. We've kind of jokingly mentioned Spider-Man because, you know, Spider-Man goes through a similar transformation. And in some cases, he becomes Man-Spider, right? And it's like, oh, gosh, if this was the plot of Spider-Man, it would be such a very different movie where we see the horror of it. And that would be, listen, Marvel, make Spider-Man a horror movie, okay? Make the fly, but in spider form, okay? You can do it. It'll sell a bunch, whatever. But in this film, it is interesting because like, I feel like we've mentioned pacing. The pacing is great, although steady. Somehow, they're able to give us an, a feeling of acceleration. So it's like, we, we know that things are going to happen. We can tell that something's changing, but the rate at which the change occurs is increasing, and I think they just do a great job here showing that like that's one of those great scenes where it goes from like I'm feeling good and I can have sex for five hours. All of a sudden now he's like a gymnast and he wasn't before he was the super nerd. And then like it goes real quick into the next phase and it just like keeps accelerating to the very end of the film where, of course, we get that just massive visual of his complete body changing. But it's just it's impressive that you can show acceleration while keeping a steady pace somehow. Even with him like going to the fridge and like just starting to grab things and like even the way that he's talking, like you said earlier, like it's the subtle methods that they're using to pick up the train, right? Like keep it moving really quickly to get you to understand like he's slowly transforming, but nothing that makes you feel like, oh, we're going zero to 5,000 from one second to the next in a way. I guess. At least that's how I felt. I think it was very subtle at first until it becomes visually apparent that he is like really getting gnarly. And I think that's what Chris expected, right? Which is what most movies are going to do is it's going to be there's a before and there's an after. Most of the movie is going to take place either in the before or the after, right? 
And this movie lives in that gray. It lives in the in-between where it's changing the whole damn time. Yeah, man. When you're talking about the progress or the rate at which he changes and it feels like an acceleration while also not feeling like an acceleration for the story, I think the closest my brain can get is if you are standing on the side of the highway and you see someone just drive by at 100 miles an hour, you're like, holy fuck, that is fast. But then if you were to zoom out and look at a whole like top-down, sky-down view of this person maybe driving 100 miles from the East Coast to the West Coast, it still doesn't fucking feel very fast. You know what I mean? They're mo- it looks like they're moving at a snail's pace. And I think that is the interesting perspective that this movie operates from with relation to that transformation and that change. But isn't it wild that all it takes is one insect to interact with a guy and then all of a sudden he's just barely hanging on and he's already a dick? There's something that where he like starts to feel the power, but he, I think he kind of realized it though, because he warns her eventually, right? He warns her that he's going to lose any sense of morality and he's going, he's not going to be able to keep himself from acting like a fly. Yeah. It's like he could feel that slipping away, but he couldn't feel it slipping away when he went searching for some strange. That's, that's what I was going to say. I was like, not. Initially, when he was like, you don't want to get in that little pod? Okay, well, I'm going to find me another bitch that does. Mm-hmm. Literally. It's kind of like how he put it that way. And I'm like, man, all right. Well, it's true. It's absolutely true. And I think the reason why I think it shifts so much for me is because even though he was charming and you could think he's a well-intending person, even when we meet him in the beginning, as charming as he can be, he's pretty fucking smug. And he says some pretty fucking creepy shit. And it seems as though perhaps he's not as predatory as he has the capacity to be because he's so fucking focused on his work. You know what I mean? But even then, he's still a little predatory. He's still, like, for this work to be such a fucking secret, he whips it out the first second he meets a pretty woman. You know what I mean? Like, he takes her to his place. He doesn't explain a lick of anything. And then he scoffs at her not being able to piece it together. She's like, it's too... What? It's like two phone booths. What the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, it's just a little bit of, ugh. You know what it reminds me of? Hear me out, okay? There's a scene in Barbie where they reference, like, how men can be sometimes. And especially, like, talking to women when they're trying to flaunt and flirt and stuff like that. And this reminds me of a particular moment where they're, like, basically mansplaining things, right? Or just in the scene in Barbie, they're like, oh, you haven't seen Godfather? Like, oh, my gosh, let me show you. Like... Which is such a thing that has happened to me. So I, that's fact. That is spot on. This is kind of that. We're like, Seth is like, oh, you don't get it? Oh, <laughs> let me explain it to you. Which just goes to show you that Veronica is a representation of women in STEM or in STEM adjacent spaces where like they are surrounded by men that basically belittle them constantly and feel like they have to explain to her shit that quite frankly, like, Sir, sorry if I don't understand one simple concept. You're out here basically transporting things and failed. So, (laughs) but the other element is that he's not even using his fucking words. He's using jargon. He's using so many fucking technical terms. And she's like, what the fuck, bro? If you're that smart, have some fucking social instinct. You know what I mean? Just like bring it down just a little bit. But that's, I think, the interesting thing here where we see his transformation. Is he becoming more beast than man or is he becoming who he actually is without the distraction of his work? Mm. And that's where it is for me. Well, and let's also remember that technically this whole shit show happened because literally he thought that she was still in love with this other piece of shit, man. 
Ugh. Like, leave it to men typically to just kind of do something stupid because they're jealous and insecure. Yeah, and a little drunk. And, Professional scientist. And a little, dr- and a little drunk. <laughs> and a little drunk. Professional scientist who has poured his life and his soul into this work. He flies too close to the fucking sun. Literally and figuratively. Because he's drunk, he's insecure, and he's concerned about the woman he's seeing. I really wanted better for him. I really but wanted better for him. you did mention, right, that this is possibly the person that was always there underneath. And when you go back to the beginning of the movie and watch it for the umpteenth time, you realize he has invited a woman he just met to his back alley murder factory, (laughs) right? And she just rolls right in there like it's no big deal. Like, obviously, she's a little bit like, "Mm, this seems a little bit sketch. But she walks in. She walks into a place with a giant sliding door, right? That thing, like, rolls open. He's like, oh, come inside, right? And she's just like, (laughs) okay. This is it. It's cleaner on the inside. He fucking, and then at one point he says, can't let you leave now. You've seen it. What the fuck? You don't say that to a woman you just met, Seth. What the fuck? And look, this is not me hating on Jeff Goldblum because, again, I do like this character and I do think that what ends up befalling him is a tragedy, but holy fuck. Now, okay, so wait, Binks. Their romance to me is the one place where the pacing doesn't make sense. Right. Because it, it's kind of shown that they're like something's going on. And he's, of course, very charming and she's intrigued and she's there to do a job, but also intrigued by this individual. But it seems like with the power of movie magic that it's like three days and they're massively in love. Bro, the you hold. It's giving the U-Haul. You're right. You're right. There you go. And I don't know that we need a montage of like her notebooks stacking up or him like pacing or anything like that. That would be. That's too cliche, but there is an issue there. Maybe that's actually what they're showing us is that they quickly fell in love with each other that hardcore. But I have a feeling that whole sequence actually took a lot longer than it seems on screen. But you know what it is to me? It's that like, I think because I knew that they were already together, like as actors, I think I just overlooked that and just bought in because when you remove that part, really what it comes down to is it's lust. It's not really love. Because, like, from the get-go, at least even rewatching it just now, like, the first 20 minutes of the movie, you're already like, are they going to fuck or what? Because they're just like, she didn't even, like, waste any time, per se. Like, she was there. She was like, let's go. She did her little thing. She made that move. I was like, all right, girl, let's go. But, like, again, that's lust. Now, all of a sudden, you're, like, being all cuddly and stuff like that. I'm like, ma'am, she... All the red flags were there, and you still made a bold move. Let's recalibrate for a second. You know Let's what? Recalibrate. She is Veronica. She is famed intrepid journalist. She is the horror genre's lowest lane. If she was also mixed with Gail Weathers, and Gail Weathers starred in a sci-fi film and wasn't quite as cutthroat, that's a mix. Wow, that's a recipe. But what drew her to Stathis? You know, because we can kind of see, okay, they have this special chemistry, right? So Seth and Veronica, they quickly look into each other's, maybe that's what it was. They were at the, they were at the little gathering. They stared into each other's eyes and they did that social experiment. They somehow had the feelings for each other or the hots for each other. But her and Stathis, was it a power dynamic? Is that what did it? I would actually say that it wasn't the power dynamic that did it in terms of her maybe admiring him. But it certainly was a power dynamic that exploited it. And I'm going to let Bing stink this one, but this man is a literal piece of fucking human garbage. Oh, my God. I hate this character so much. 
I hate this character so much. He literally, okay, going back to what I was saying earlier about Veronica being a woman in STEM or STEM adjacent, you know what I mean? Like he is basically weaponizing his like power and like his role and using it against her constantly throughout this film. I mean, at one point he literally, after being so shitty, is like, well, we can't even just like have sex, like casual sex. I was like, sir, this is a movie from a long time ago. And why does this still remind me of men today? Like, I just, I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scary out there. Because the patriarchy and misogyny never fucking changes. It just alters its shape slightly. Yeah. Okay. Look, I'm just, all I'm saying is like, you really have to have tremendo cojone. You know what I mean? Like, like you have to have some gumption, okay? To make a statement like that after all the things that you have already done, sir. But you know what? That's why I, my favorite quote, that's when she responds to him. You're disgusting as always, because I'm glad that that's established. Now, everything that he does after the movie, it's like, let's hold on to that fact, please, because it is very clear that that's all he is, a very terrible and disgusting man. He breaks into her apartment and takes a shower. Sitting there on that couch, like he just, like, like he owns the place. Sir, who are you? Oh my gosh. She tells him to get out. He, she wants the key. He says he'll keep it. I fucking hate him. I absolutely hate him. And mm, I have some other specific words reserved for him as we get later into this episode. But this man stalks her. He fucking stalks her. And then it's like this trauma bonds them together. And I fucking hate it. Mm. I know that you you said The Fly 2 was spoiled for you. My hope at the end of the film was that he goes through this experience. She goes through this experience. He's like, oh, this brings us closer together. And she goes, no, no, thank you. But no. Mm. That was my hope secretly because I've never seen the sequel, but that's what I prayed would happen. It was she'd be like, Oh my God, thank you for saving me. This was so traumatic. I'm quitting, by the way. You're no longer my boss and appreciate it. Have a good life. Okay. So I hate to break it to you that there are some things that might be disappointing for you that don't even have to wait for the fly to. Now, Binks was looking at some deleted scenes and there are some details there that really grind my gears, that stoke the flames of pure discontent in my soul. I am happy, though, that at least his hand and his foot paid some kind of price. I was going to say, I was going to say, Brundlefly, thank you. You did your service. If you did anything at all, you did that. He could basically be a member of the Skywalker family at this point. Oh, don't do that to the Skywalkers. <laughs> a general statement, though, this movie has very, very little characters in it. Mm-hmm. I can count them with barely one hand, maybe. So... Props to that. I think with it just in general, having very little characters, it's still like so much fun. Didn't need to, good thing though, it didn't need to have so many different characters and like side people and like a whole bit. I think with what we got was what we got. And sure, Seth, unfortunately, is just, his Riz just became a little too much of an asshole vibe towards the fly end. And then Stathis was really just a piece of shit. So unfortunately, the main characters to some extent are not so splendid, but we didn't need everybody else. Or, or rather, we didn't need more people. And the few others are just like, obviously, the like the doctor, Cronenberg, who's the gynecologist, like little cameos here and there, but they're not necessarily like big roles. So it's kind of nice, though, right? Because it feels a lot cleaner, even yeah. though the movie is disgusting and gross. Like, 
the makeup of the film, it's smoother because they didn't add extra crap to it. They focus on just what we needed to focus on. For a very complex story, this is a very simple movie. Yeah. And that's super weird to say. I think it's honestly a testament to Cronenberg, to the entire team and the creative force behind this movie, because this had so many opportunities to lose you, and it still just kept you hooked right in. And and again, this is for sure one of Cronenberg's like simplest, like to the point stories. And it could be because it is an adaptation of an adaptation. So like, it's not like he could really just take it and run with it like he has his other ones, right? But one thing, the thing with Cronenberg is that like, it's not just the body horror that's his mark. That's his most notable one, obviously. But the thing with Cronenberg and all of his work is that it has a lot of, of course, sexual like innuendos and undertones and like relationships and how they are in relation to sex. So that's what, that was his second touch to this. That's why I keep joking around and bringing it up. It's because that's how he is. That's how, in all of his movies, that tension and like relationships and using lust is his, he loves exploring that stuff. So I'm glad that he was able to do that. Plus his body horror stuff with something so simple. You don't need it to be crazy. You watch his other stuff. Yeah. That, that thing's going to twist and turn your brain 5,000 different ways. I think I've mentioned it before, but like I always find the best sci-fi is where sci-fi is as part of the movie. It's not the movie, though. And this is, I think, really effective here. This movie doesn't have to be about a man turning into a fly. This could be a movie about a scientist who struggles with bipolar disorder. Mm. This could be a movie about a scientist who ends up sick with cancer or something, right? Like this could be Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, right? It doesn't matter what it's about, right? Like that in terms of that moment, that part, that small detail it's really about the characters here and about their struggles in between them. And that's why it's so effective is like the sci-fi is part of the setting. Sure. That's great. And it's very effective visually, but the characters are what drive the story here. And that's why it works. Yeah, And that's really what, even when you think about any good zombie movie, the best zombie movies are the ones that focus on the lack of humanity, but not because of the zombies. The zombies are a catalyst for these circumstances and these interactions, but the zombies aren't are usually the best, most integral part of the movie. But I think this is what's really interesting. You you talked about Binks, Cronenberg's exploration of lust and the love that's in this movie. Are y'all okay if I share a little bit about the differences and the dynamics between this and the original? Yeah. Sure. So in the original movie, take the ending of this movie and put it at the front. What? I know. What? This man has turned into a fly. His wife and mother of his child assisted him in his suicide. Uh, Mm Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the movie is a mystery trying to understand what happened because a night watchman sees her running away after hearing a hydraulic press come down in in a factory and he discovers a body. He's like, what the hell? There's so much blood, et cetera. Vincent Price plays the guy's brother. So it's Vincent Price and an inspector who goes to her house. She's kept at her home with a nurse and she is pretending to be mad. And this whole movie is a journey to uncovering what happened. And then you finally get a flashback to Andre and his work. And then you get a transformation into a fly. It's fucking wild. So to see their love and their interactions and how that framed their entire story, it's so interesting to see the difference here. My jaw is dropped. And I got to be honest... That sounds like a movie I would really freaking like. I love me a good mystery, like murder mystery type of noir type thing. 
situation, which I mean, I guess it's not too much of that, but like a little bit from the sound of it. Yeah. Honestly, it's streaming on Max. No, I know. I saw. I swear. I really was going to watch it again, but I was like, I don't know how many more flies I can take. It would be super easy for you from a fly perspective. The worst part is simple. And it is Stathis. I have nothing else more to say. That character is absolute trash. And the misogyny that is emanating from his pores is quite strong. So I could do without him. He's necessary for the film and I get it and blah, 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 blah. But yeah, I he's abysmal. The misogyny secretes from his pores the same way that fluid sweat secretes from Seth's when he's doing that arm wrestling bit. <gasps> Damn. Lovely. I forgot about that part. It's true. It's fucking true. Stathis is absolutely the worst part of this fucking movie. And I think the worst part of it for me is seeing the way that he and Veronica are bonded together through this trauma. And I want to think at the end of this, right, that it's not the case and it doesn't happen. I want to believe that at the end of this movie, she walks away, Mac, just like you were saying. But what kills me is that when you queue up the fly too, well, for me, it, I didn't even have to try. It just kind of got suggested to me immediately after. It's revealed that the son of Seth Brundle is the main focus of the movie. So what kills me is knowing, and on top of Stathis, this is the really worst part of the movie. You're kind of left in the suspension of, did she or did she not eventually get her abortion? Did she or did she not eventually get to act on the decision that she had made? And you would like to think maybe she did, but you find out she didn't. And that fucking devastates me. And to know that and the stress of that kind of situation and to see the way she's bonded to Seth, it kills me. It reminds me very much of a friend I had who was in similar circumstances with facing that exact decision, do I or do I not? And it allowed a moment for a very toxic and dangerous person to come back into her life and the stress of that time bonded them together. And I saw that every moment I saw Stathis and Veronica together and I'm like, fuck you, you literal piece of shit. You do not deserve her or even to be in her orbit. Mm. Well, I knowing that there was a sequel and looking at the cast and not being interested in it, I, I feel good that I was not interested in it because now I feel like it would actually make me feel really bad about the fly as a concept. So Thank you for the spoiler. I'm going to say that. So thank you, because I probably would have been like, I'll watch it one day. Maybe. Listen, listeners, I know that I should have probably not spoiled that, but I think you deserved for it to have been spoiled. And it's also not a secret. I think it's like at the very beginning of the movie. It's a synopsis, probably. I'm sure that mentions it, too. No, it's a synopsis. It's a synopsis. Because when I looked up Stathis, I saw like the unreleased endings that are in the DVD, like the special edition DVD of The Fly. It pulled up The Fly 2. And the synopsis outright, like the first sentence says that it is the main character is their son. So mm. we're not necessarily spoiling. You could have literally Googled it and been distraught and sad about it. So, you know what? Look, Chris Wallace, he directed that movie and good for him because he won the Academy Award for this one. And like, I see what you were trying to do, sir, <laughs> but you fumbled and I'm so sorry. Well, I'm going to follow that up. I can't top that for worst part. So I'll say that. The whole Spider-Man three level strut downtown to find somebody willing and then snapping some dude's hand off of his arm in an arm wrestling contest, like that whole just extra level of becoming Stathis, that whole segment was so gross as well that that I think is a good runner up for worst part. So we've talked a lot about good old Stathis and bringing up how the fly Two 
what it's about. Again, no spoilers, you could look it up. But I do want to bring up this ending that I was talking about, this epilogue. That's a, basically an epilogue that's in the collector's edition of the DVD. Because I want to read it aloud, see what you guys think about it. So it says here that it was shot four different ways, this unused epilogue, right? And essentially what it was, the ultimate epilogue that they ended up solidifying but still not using is Veronica seen in the bed with Stathis. So already alarms sounding off. It's a no for me, dog, already. We're already at strike one. Having married him. Strike two. What the fuck? Strike two. Some time after Seth Brundle's death, she awakens from another nightmare in which she gives birth to Brundle's child, and Stathis reassures her that she is safe. That's red flag number three, because I don't want to believe a damn thing that this man says about reassuring of anything, but I go back to flag two where you married him, so there's that. A league of their own, you're already out, Gina Davis. (laughs) He says to her that the baby she is now carrying, having presumably aborted Brundle's, is his four four strikes you know what bullshit four strikes veronica then falls back asleep and she then dreams of a beautiful human baby with butterfly wings hatching from a cocoon and flying off towards a distant light source like a fairy metamorphosis basically (laughs) yeah get the fuck out of here honestly strike five for falling back asleep and feeling safe enough to fall back asleep with that predator in your bed ew ew and some more ill. Now, the other versions, right? Because there's they were shot four different ways, but that was the main one. The other ones are like the same thing, but Stath is saying that there is no baby. There's one where she wakes up alone in her bed. And in that version, she is clearly still pregnant with Brundle's baby. But she has that butterfly baby dream or whatever. And then the third one says the same thing, but she is not like having that dream, but then she's not pregnant. So we've got a combination of a lot of things going on there with those four different ways. Clearly, they just couldn't make up their mind and then just scrapped all of it and didn't even show us all any of it. For the better. But apparently, I'm reading here, it says that the epilogue did not fare well with the preview audience and ended up being cut from the film because no one wanted to see Ronnie end up with Stathis. Good. The audience is So did I'm right. glad that the people agreed. Yep. Wow. Put me in those focus groups, bro. Yeah, I mean, first of all, we don't need... We don't need an epilogue, right? I think the film without it is so much better. Yep. And apparently the audience agreed. So there you go. Look Mm. at that. You know what? Even for it being better, I think where I struggle is I really love this movie. I don't know that I can ever really watch it again, though. Now, I say that because I need a long time of waiting before I can stomach it again. And then even if I do... I feel like I need to make sure that my mental health is in a way better place because I fear quite genuinely what kind of existential dread I could fall into if I compare this to the deterioration of aging while I'm deteriorating as I age. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's a real slippery slope. I'm so glad that I watched this. This is like on my list now of my all time favorite sci-fi horror films right beneath Jason X. Just kidding. Just kidding. But I don't know that I could do it again for a long time. That's fair. I mean, it's a lot. I've already seen it. Look, I've already seen it twice this year. So it's not going to happen again for the for this year. However, you have heavily piqued my interest in watching the original. I wasn't going to. I was going to give it some more time. But that's probably going to happen now. But once I do that, 
I'm going to save this for like next October, like next spooky season. I'll be rewatching it for sure. I love this movie. I think it's so fun. And I will say like, again, I've had that gap of time in between earlier this year, having rewatched it and like the most previous time. Right. So it's been a bit and I don't want to like oversaturate myself with too much like fly vomit and whatnot and haughty Jeff Goldblum, but it's a good like sci-fi spooky season movie in my opinion to kind of have in the rotation every now and then i've I've seen this movie before and i'll see it again quite happily i should say i think a little bit of time and space does help like i don't think i could watch the thing 15 times a year even though the thing is also an absolute classic i think they're just they're so extreme they're so intense that like you need them to breathe before you can watch them again so like this was like the perfect time to watch this for me because it's been a while and so it's like ah it feels like the right time to see it. And if I were to do this again in a month, I would be taking it for granted. So yeah, I'll watch it again after it breathes for a little bit. Okay, well, I'm really excited that you both can stand some rewatch. I think I've had one to serve me for a while, but for now, let's see what Mac has whipped up for Factor Fiction. All right, Binks, you ready? It's all you tonight, so. I believe in myself. Pressure's on. Yeah, pressure's on. I can do it. Number one, the well-known line and tagline, be afraid, be very afraid, was created by Mel Brooks. Yes. Fact. Yes. Yes, this is a fact. So Mel Brooks is a producer of the movie, right? And he coined the phrase when talking with Cronenberg about how characters should react to Brundle transforming. And of course, it made it into the film. You see, I knew that Mel Brooks was a producer. I just, Mel Brooks is very talented and a smart individual in when it comes to film. So I was just confident that like, I would hope that he would have came up with that idea. Could you go? Nice. Okay. Look at me. I got this. All right. Number two. Cronenberg was attached to the film from the very beginning, fending off five other directors who ferociously fought to direct the film. Okay. I'm going to say fiction. I'm going to say fiction. I feel like Cronenberg, like they really wanted to go, well, damn. Bianca, think of his other films before this. Okay. No, no, no. Never mind. I'm going to go with fact. I'm going to go with fact. You had it right, though. It, it is a fiction. God, no. <laughs> he was the first desired. But he was busy making Total Recall. Robert Bierman was actually brought on instead. Then Bierman unfortunately had a family tragedy that took him away from the film. And Cronenberg's time in Total Recall also ended unexpectedly. The rest, they say, is history. This is why I have to go with my gut. That's right. All right, go with your gut on number three. The president of 20th Century Fox called casting Jeff Goldblum an absolutely horrible mistake. That is a fact. That's a fact. Oh, can you tell us more? Do you know more? I think I, I think yes, because I think I remember that they had other people in mind. Like other people were like kind of like auditioning and really wanting this role. And it was like a few people until they just like, fine, we're gonna we're gonna do Jeff Goldblum. And then Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, no, no, I'm going to leave it there. Because what if I'm wrong? And then I'm going to sound like an absolute clown. <laughs> so, no, this one is a fact, right? So, so part of this is, right, the makeup team was like, to do what we need to do, we need somebody who has, like, somebody with very small ears, somebody who doesn't have a large nose bridge, right? But they're like, no, no, we need Jeff Goldblum. And they're like, okay, we'll make it work. The guy's amazing, right? But, yes, the president of 20th Century Fox called casting him an absolutely horrible mistake but he was like you know what that's this is for you this is your own choice you're allowed to make i'll green light it that's fine but i do wonder when he realized that he was absolutely horribly wrong 
Yeah, I mean, extremely wrong. And the reason that I, I think I read this because the reason I, I know this is because I think I read that like the other people, there was like one actor in particular, God, he's famous and I can't think of the name now, but there was another person that was wanting this role and he did not want to be altered. Like he didn't want like a ton of special effects and stuff on him. He wanted to still kind of look like himself apparently. And Jeff Goldblum was like, take me there, make me a fly. Life uh, finds a way. All right, and then finally, number four, Vincent Price, who we know was in the original 1958 film, slammed this remake for going too far. Ooh. Cronenberg does take it far, and people love him or you hate him, so I'm going to say fact. All right, this one's a fiction. So, Goldblum actually wrote him after the release of the movie, stating, I hope you like it as much as I liked yours. So he wrote him back, and he went to go watch it. But he did describe it as wonderful right up to a certain point. It went a little too far. He didn't hate it. He didn't slam it. Okay. But he didn't hate it. Right. Oh, that's sweet. That's sweet. And that's been Fact or Fiction. Well, there you have it, folks. Albeit disgusting, the fly has earned a universal slash, which must make our Superfly Space Guy real happy. It gives Superfly Space Guy a whole new meaning, doesn't it, Mac? Oh, boy. Oh, it's perfect. Now, we've certainly had a robust discussion here, but it doesn't end here by any means. We want to know what you think. Would you cuddle up with Brundlefly? Let us know. You can join in on the conversation by hanging out with us for free in our Discord. Click the link in our show notes to sign up. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, consider joining our New Blood Drive and becoming a member of the family. Visit patreon.com slash hacker slash to enjoy more of the show with early access, extended episodes, bonus content, and live shows. We'll see you next time, folks. And remember, computers are dumb. They only know what you tell them. Drink deep or taste not the plasma spring. Holy shit. I can't believe we are 10 episodes away from our 300th episode. How does that feel? Fucking insane to me. Yeah. This is the longest commitment of my lifetime. I've been doing this show longer than I was in the Navy. Oh. That's crazy. That's kind of mind-blowing. I know. It's wild. I've been doing this show longer than my longest relationship, and I've been doing this show longer than I've been with my current employer, which has been my longest employer. That's wild. Yeah, but I'm still, like, and even the Navy, that's kind of crazy now that I put that into perspective. Now I'm thinking about it. It's so fucking weird. Ten episodes away. And also, like, 300 episodes consistently. Yeah. That's dedication. Without missing a week. Without missing a week. Since we switched to weekly, we were bi-weekly when we first started. And then we did take like a three-month hiatus in the very, very beginning. But like, fuck it. Since then, since like yeah. episode like eight, nine, ten, whatever, we've been doing it every week. That's wild because my first episode was episode 52. Fucking crazy, dude. But I haven't been obviously on every single one, right? Like I've, you know, I've, I've taken my breaks obviously here and there. You have not. No, no breaks. So it's kind of wild to imagine 250 episodes that you've done. And that I've been on some of them, or most of them, let's say, since since the first episode, which to me seems like just, you know, just like two years ago in my mind. That's what it feels like. Yeah, it feels like it was like a fucking weird time loop. It's so interesting that you say that because I was working on something for the Letterboxd account and was kind of like logging, you know, the movies that we've done in our earlier days. And I noticed, yeah, that your movie was like early, like early in there. Yeah. Like your first episode was like really early. Ryan's obviously as well. And Alexis, like so into Paris as well. Like all of you guys have been in it for a bit. I love that. It doesn't make sense to me though, because to me, I'm still a late addition. 
in my mind, you know, because like I got the start by listening to the podcast while driving. It's so fucking weird. And sharing my thoughts with Chris about why Alexis was wrong. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, goodness. It, it's specifically when I finally shared my thoughts. I forget how actually, I don't know if Chris, if you told me about the podcast and so I started listening or somebody else told me about it, but somebody else must have start, told you about it. Cause I definitely, I, you probably knew about it from me, but I never like encouraged you to listen. I was like, right. not a hundred percent quite sold on being proud of it early on. Yeah. So I, Pet Cemetery is the one where I listened and was like, I'm going to talk to Chris when I get when I get back because they're wrong. Everyone else is wrong except for Chris on Pet Cemetery. Which which Pet Cemetery? Like the original or the 2019? No, the 2019. Oh, yeah. Except he didn't even wait until he got back because he texted me while he was en route <laughs> yeah. to Georgia. Yeah, I think you know because there's just like a, a point in North Carolina where I always stop. You know. Mm. So it's probably like, I, I got to fire one off. I'm pulling over. It needs to be addressed right away. That's right. <laughs> oh, That's man. incredible. But you know what? You you feel like just such a part of the show, man. Like, I, I don't even remember, obviously. I mean, I do remember. I remember a time before Mac and a time before Alexis and a time before Ryan. Sure. But I don't acknowledge that as being the real deal, I think. Interesting. You know what I mean? Because it was so distant. It was, and things have changed so much. It, it just feels like such a faint memory. I would imagine, like, even think about it, where it's nearing six years at this point, like who you guys were as people. I mean, I was a different person even just a year ago. So I can't even imagine six years ago, you know? Yeah. I mean, when I, when I think back now, because in my mind still, it's been only like two years and it's been four years. That's wild. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely wild. That's someone's like entire college education. God, anything <laughs> like four years. Nuts. Well, that's the wild thing. That's why when we talk about like when Zach joined the staff, he reached out and shared that he started listening to us when he was a freshman in college and we got him through his college education. Wow. It is insane to me. But man, even like thinking about where life was for me. In 2017, when this show started, okay, I had this memory actually a couple months ago in our Discord server. Movie Pass was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> my first ticket ever, my first movie ticket ever, and the reason why I found it like, okay, maybe this is a good time to do this was because I bought my It Chapter One ticket with Movie Pass. Which is interesting because Movie Pass is now making a comeback. I probably died out again, but like, think of how much time has passed that it, that's when it was a thing and it has now made a comeback. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, wow. Man, we really live and die by the times, huh? That's nuts. Well, and you know what? Time is also flying so quickly, even for Sean and I. It's about to, we're nearing in just a month or two, I think, more or less. It'll be a year since we joined. Yeah. Which is also kind of crazy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I know that Sean joined. Well, the movie came out that Sean did for his very first episode at the end of September last year. Mm -hmm. So riding around now is when that movie came out. And then I think a couple, we're a couple weeks away from when he actually started recording. But yeah, this time last year, I hadn't even met you yet, Binks. Mm -mm. Nope. Wow. I think this time, this time last year, I was, oh, I was still going to trivia for sure. Yeah, I was going, but I was really just like starting to make it a routine, actually. Very fun. Wow. Very interesting. An extra special and extra weird feeling is looking at the episode synopsis. For my first episode, where it says, This week, the Hacker Slash team welcomes Mac, a special guest, to help review the 2019 summer creature feature crawl. Whoop. And it's so, it's so weird. It's so, B Binks, have you looked at your first episode? 
and like reread the episode notes or the synopsis. No, but I really should. <laughs> Granted, good old Terrifier. How fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so Terrifier was a rewind, but then Terrifier 2 was the public episode. I wonder if I called you out as a special guest. I can't remember if we still started doing that. I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. My style guide is a little off. <laughs> I'm not consistent anymore. But also, what a fucking way to start the show. True. Let me see here. My gosh, that's oh, how cute. I will say my opening quote apparently was, ew, why is mine so sticky? <laughs> Which, <laughs> honestly, that tracks. That tracks. Considering what my opening quotes tend to be. Which is quite sweet. So Terrifier 2, we didn't, we didn't specify you in the notes, but we did mention... The essence that is you. So we said, this week we welcome a new team member as we check out Terrifier 2, 2022. Oh, you know why it is? I think because we did the rewind first. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, yo, so you want to stick around or what? Yeah. It was kind of like a seal the deal beforehand. Yeah, I remember. we. D- I think it was like literally one day to the next back-to-back recording. Really just a lot of things happening in that like 12 hours. For real, honestly. <laughs> Instantly, I was like, yes. <laughs> Which, so grateful. I think you and Sean have been such great additions to the team. And man, I think even think about last year this time, Mac, do you remember how absolutely stressed out I was with like, what the fuck are we going to do? Yeah, I do. I do remember. And now look at us, you know? Yeah. Look, look, ma, no hands. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's so fucking good. I feel great. But let me tell you, I have this confession that I can't believe it's taken 300 episodes to get to the fly. I was just as shocked. Honestly, when we were talking about, you know, what the, you know, spooky season was going to look like, what movies we were going to do. And the fact that the fly hasn't been done with me being the crony baddie that I am. And also, I got to say to your point earlier, Mac, your first episode being, you know, creature feature thing. And look at us you know, somewhat, kind of. <laughs> it Well, it's kind of funny because I never realized that we never did the fly. Like it just never computed in my brain that we forgot something, you know? Yeah. I think it's one of those things where you just assume, yeah, of course we've done it. And then you realize that we haven't. And then you're like, oh shit. You would think that about a lot of things. But as it turns out, 290 episodes later, there's still a lot of shit we haven't done. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's funny because like... First of all, crony baddie sounds like you have Crohn's disease um, and, and you're like owning it, you know? Uh, so that's kind of an interesting phrase. Live your truth. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's what the, cro- <laughs> the cronies. I, I bet you if you Google it, it's probably somebody uses that in that way. But but it, it is kind of funny that we, I mean, have we actually done any or many David Cronenberg films? This is the first. This is the first one. That's what that's what shocked me the most. You know how I know? Because I made, I made a comment. <laughs> No. And I was, and I had this exact face where I was shocked and stunned and appalled. No. And I, I know I mentioned this obviously in the, in the actual episode, but I've never seen a David Cronenberg film. You oh. withheld that information from me. Yeah. Sorry. It's, it's, it's interesting. You know, I have seen David Cronenberg films for a long time and enjoyed them without realizing they were David Cronenberg films. Uh, I watched, literally watched David Cronenberg on Star Trek. Um, and for some reason didn't compute that that was his face. So it's like David Cronenberg, unfortunately, we've just taken him for granted, I think. Yeah. I mean, I've seen another Cronenberg film before seeing David Cronenberg because I watched Infinity Pool in August with our Discord community. Right. But I just want to say, again, as a crony baddie, I'm proud of myself for not only like dabbling in a little bit of Cronenberg, both father and son, for this uh, spooky season, because I, like I mentioned in the episode, I, 
name name the Cronenberg movie. I've probably seen it. I'm still working through a couple that are kind of really hard to find, though, that I don't remember. Like Crash, I did not see growing up, and I probably should have never seen it growing up. But I'm still wanting to find it so I can see it. I know plenty about it. There's so many good ones, guys. So many good ones. Well, it's funny because, you know, this is obviously a, a great example of body body horror. Right. Um, and, like, things start to line up when I think about a history of violence because there's a scene at the end or probably a couple, but there's a really brutal scene in history of violence that seems so excessively brutal and violent and damaging to somebody's face. And it's like, well, of course, of course it is because that dude knows what to do. You know, when we're talking about bodies doing gross things, he's, he's well-schooled in it. Yep. You can count on him. I saw that in theaters with my mother. No business saying that in theaters with my mother at that age. <laughs> but I can think of, actually, no one's nominated a Cronenberg film as a patron pick yet either. Maybe that, there's a reason for that. Oh, I'm hurt. Maybe we just can't stomach it. Out of all the body horror that's out there, he is definitely, I mean, he's well-schooled. He knows what to do with it, but at the same time, like, it's tolerable. You know, he's not to such a level that you that most people couldn't deal with it. Mm. <laughs> Well, I, I maybe. Oh, let's rewind for a second. That depends on the film. I'd say for most of his films, for most yeah. of his films. Yeah, I was gonna say for most of the films, for sure. I have not seen Crimes of the Future though, Ooh. and I don't know that I will, so I can't speak on that one. Oh, but you should. We'll we'll see. It's it's on the list for very far away from today. Would you say it's a crime of the future? You, yes, you could. You <laughs> could. One one could say that. Fantastic. I think in the spirit of this movie, though, something that I'm curious about, is there a creature or an animal that you wouldn't mind getting mutated with? Like, if you had to go, you know, if something had to sneak in this telepod with you. Yeah, you know, I think you could you could go a couple different ways. You could go, obviously, another mammal. And uh, that's almost that's almost like an easy pick, right? Because who wouldn't want to be combined with, like, I don't know, a bear or, or something cute and cuddly, maybe? But... I'm going to stick to the theme of the movie. I'm going to go praying mantis. Why? Why? Why would you not want to have the strength and agility and ninja skills of a praying mantis? Now, caveat there is, obviously, if it goes the way the film goes, it's a one and done kind of situation. I don't have to worry about like, you know, lifelong worries as a praying mantis. But if I did, if you had to worry about mating or anything, not down, not down for it. But, you know, just to have like, I don't know, I feel like razor sharp jaws. You know, that'd be pretty cool. Being able to like snap the neck of anything you wanted to. Mm. That's pretty, that's pretty epic. You know what? That Catholic in you is so strong. You still want to pray in <laughs> science fiction. That's great. Oh boy. I'm just thinking of like what you would look like. Cause here's the thing. This movie has taught me anything. It's that if you were to like be merged or like have some weird metamorphosis moment with an animal of some of any kind or an insect of any kind, like it's, you're just not going to look cute, you know, potentially. And I think I just got to like accept that. So I'm trying to find an animal that if I were to morph into it, which one would I most likely still look cute while being merged with it? Ooh, okay. So first off, Mac, when I imagine you is that. I'm thinking not of this movie's transformation, but the original movie's transformation, which seems a lot more tolerable. So now I'm imagining you with a praying mantis head and a left arm <laughs> of a praying mantis. Binks, I'm sure you could pull something off. Something, I don't know. Well, the animal I'm thinking of is an owl. Really? Because I love owls. Yeah, I love owls. It's my favorite animal. And I feel like, you know, sprouting feathers out of my back. You know, I, I've seen Black Swan. She's still slayed while that was going on. So I still need to see that movie. Oh, get it together. 
Come on. Actually, Banks, there is a killer in Dead by Daylight I need to show you because I think when you just said owl, this is what this reminded me of. Paris famously refers to her as the bird bitch <laughs> because her like power has to deal with like crows and ravens and shit. So she was an artist and now her arms are kind of inky, but also kind of feathery at the same time. Inky and feathery. Oh, she's cool. Yeah, I know. It just sounds weird. But some of her skins are very bird-like. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, listen, I didn't think very hard about this. I just thought what animal is fucking cute and I'd still go raccoon because they also are cute with opposable thumbs. Like Rakakuni. Yeah. From Everything Everywhere All at Once. Oh, no, I haven't seen that. What is going on? I can't handle feelings right now, Binks. I haven't either, though. What is happening? This movie came out last year. It's one of those movies you have to save, you know? It's like you have to wait because you- For how long? You know you're going to cherish it. So you're like, let me wait. Let me hold on to that. No, no, no. You've held on for over a year. So- like well over a year listen i held on to hereditary this long no that's a different story that's a different story altogether (laughs) and and honestly like even more reason why you should watch everything everywhere all at once you're already gonna you know dive into the pool of that so of hereditary we'll see maybe for jamie lee curtis's birthday combining with a raccoon though just makes me think uh, guardians of the galaxy oh i don't know oh my heart I think of this show, oh my gosh, what is this show? It's animated, it's on Hulu, and then it's like a bunch of neighborhood pets come together for therapy sessions because one of the dogs belongs to a therapist. Yes. And then there's also a raccoon who joins their club, and that raccoon is cute as fuck. What show is this? It's got to be Bojack Horseman, right? No, 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 it's not. Uh, animated show, dog, Lisa Kudrow, therapy, housebroken. Housebroken. Mm, never heard of it. Yeah. It's really fucking cute. Hold on a second. Housebroken show raccoon. Raccoon. He's kind of wild looking, but uh, here we go. He like winks and points at the same time, which is a thing that I used to do when I was really nervous to like exude charm. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. So he reminds me of me. That's an adorable raccoon. I know. I could pull I could pull off raccoon merge, I think. I already had the bags under my eyes. I do I do worry. Like merging with a mammal might li- just, I feel like you'd look like a furry. That's a potential. Yeah. That's like the only possible downside is you look like you work at a Chuck E. Cheese, you know? Well, I should also point out that I used to do the animal mascot things. So it's not my first time wearing a suit. That's true. Hmm. Oh, man. Purely for professional reasons. I, I do wonder, though, if you did merge with a raccoon, would you end up eating trash? I don't think so. My stomach would be still my stomach. I'm thinking about the extent that, like, again, in my head, the logic has only gone as far as the 1958 the fly, which is a head that's like Im- impeding the brain and then the left arm. Yeah, not full raccoon. Never go full raccoon. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Only like tw- quarter raccoon at most. Do you get to decide that? I mean, again, I'm just following the movie's example. Yeah, we're we're, we're thinking of a of a more classic time, you know, 58, where things weren't as weren't as extreme. Yes, our imaginations were quite stunted. We didn't have the special effects to literally watch somebody's, you know, face unwrap. Jesus Christ, I can't fucking handle this. Oh. We are a horror movie review podcast dedicated to telling you whether a movie is a hack, a total joke, a waste of time. Or a slash. Totally killer. Pun intended. It works because she thinks this is a total joke. But not a waste of time. (laughs) No, yeah, yeah, yeah. But for sure a total joke. 
Shout out to Jeff Goldblum, who famously played Rachel Berry's father in Glee. Is that is that how we're shouting him out for Glee? No, absolutely not. He's done so much <laughs> great work, and I absolutely love that man to death. But you would expect, with all the cameos they fucking had for from from celebrities in that series, that it would just be wacky. But he was delightful every time he was on screen. Hey, can I also say... You know what? I rolled my eyes, but I have to give you some credit. You haven't mentioned Glee in the last couple episodes, so I'm proud of you. Jesus Christ. <laughs> what? I was trying to be, I was trying to give you a word of affirmation. Thank you. I'm just saying. Words of affirmation is my love language. There you go. Look, I'm being nice. I still think of Goldblum with his piece on Conan. He says, uh, he was talking, he said, people always ask me how I pronounce my name, Goldblum or Goldblum. I always tell them the same thing. How dare you speak to me? <laughs> <laughs> and just, just a freaking force of wit. That man. I absolutely love that. Not one of my favorite episodes, but it's a good episode. It's from Star Trek Voyager season two, episode 24. It's called Tuvix. And it's a very similar kind of setup where, you know, they use transporters in Star Trek, right? And so they transport two people and they combine them into one person. And then, you know, they got to figure out if they can split them up. And is that moral Ooh. to do so? Hold on. Ooh. Hold on. So Mac can now be out here citing specific episodes of Star Trek and he gets nothing. He gets an ooh, but I bring up Glee one time. <laughs> I bring up Glee one time. Well, you know what it is? It's because you mentioned shouting out Jeff Goldblum in terms of Glee. That's mm. what it that's what it was. Mm. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. It's it's mm-hmm. relating the two. <laughs> they definitely got divorced later on. But whatever, we forgot that part. Remove that Damn. part. Tragic. That's as that makes me feel as bad as I feel knowing that Johnny Depp and Winona Ryder stopped dating. I think about that all the time. The one that got away. Think about it. Flies probably like procreate often, right? Or like you know, like mini flies everywhere. Or like I mean, they have to if they're gonna make use of their one month lifespan. So exactly. So is it really yeah. the man or is it the fly? <laughs> I think it's the flies, Adams, stripping down the man's intelligence and critical thinking and reducing him down to more primal level. Are you sure you weren't the horny one? No, I promise I was. Well, it's Jeff Goldblum. (laughs) You know what? (laughs) So the 1986 movie The Fly or the 1993 movie Jurassic Park, which one is a hotter Goldblum? Oh, my God. What a question. You know, or is it Apartments.com? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Zaddy Goldblum might probably take the cake, I think. God, that's such a tough one. No, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with the fly. Miss me on that long hair. I'll see your horniness being a surprise and I'll raise you <laughs> the lingering of things. I think they're able the depth, like you said, the depth is what's is what they're using to make it its own thing that you cannot say is another thing 100 fucking percent and then um, i'm sorry the visuals that we get in this movie absurd they ain't got none of that 1958 oh, of <laughs> not a single fucking <laughs> one not a single fucking one no i could imagine i could imagine man side note completely but forgive me you say the thing and i still yeah so it's a part of obviously my top 100 and i can't seem to freaking watch it because of the first like 10 minutes has that husky and Cullen just won't stop barking at the freaking screen. And I'm, I'm one of these days, I'm going to finally rewatch that movie. It's been ages. <laughs> I don't even think I've actually, forgive me. I don't think I've actually seen the thing like from start to finish ever, like in my life. I think I've seen it like in clips and stuff like that. Cause I remember some parts, but I'm trying to rewatch it. And you mentioned it now. And I'm like, God damn it. This movie follows me. Guess we're doing a rewind in the winter. 
<laughs> it just follows me everywhere and I can't seem to finish it because of my freaking dog. Yeah, your dog needs to get a babysitter. Things get nasty, my friends, and PETA is not a fan of a baboon exploding. So there's that. Spoilers. Things get nasty, my friends, and PETA is not a fan of certain things exploding. Uh, like eating four pounds of Taco Bell, huh, Mac? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You understand. Yes. One, one, human, one human kill. That's where it was. <laughs> one human alcohol, please. That's what we do in the Shadows joke. I'll watch it, okay? I'll watch it. Good. And, and Binks, I mentioned this earlier, you chose this as the image for this movie in our Notion database. So respect to you because I love you and I appreciate you for doing it. But holy fuck, it's haunted me every day. I can't wait for this episode to be done being published so I can just get it off my Notion. <laughs> I have to be real honest with you, though. I didn't even think about it. Like I just, I, I, I put it there and it's just hitting me now that you've, yeah, you've had to like stare at that. Every single day, every single day for months. And that is the part of the movie that made me almost throw up. Oh yeah. Every single time I open the Notion database, I just scroll down just enough to hide past it. I'm surprised you didn't change it. I would never. I appreciate Binx's work too much and I know how to deal with the consequences of my actions. <laughs> I didn't do it, and she did, so I'm not going to change it. <laughs> it's okay. We're even. I watched Insidious. Now you had to stare at the... Yeah. Yeah, really. One day of watching this is really worth an entire fucking like quarter of months, a quarter of the year. <laughs> yeah, it's been up there for a while. I'm so sorry. It's okay. I love you. Kind of makes you want to go celibate because I'm just like it. <laughs> mm. Wow, that must be so difficult for you. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> there are other solutions. Never. <laughs> okay. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> I wasn't thinking to the extreme that you were thinking. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the free sides are going to be littered with After Dark. <laughs> <gasps> oh, my God. No. This is public. <laughs> <laughs> but holy fuck. Holy fuck. And then they fuck. So, God damn it. Sorry.